Welcome to episode 831 of The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Uh, happy Sunday. Uh, I'm actually doing well, despite, I don't know how the weather is with you guys, but oh my god, is it balls hot here. Like, not high at 96. I feel like I'm back in Orlando. <laughs> I, I passed out. My wife put a picture on Facebook of me yesterday in the bed with our beagle, and I am just completely passed out about 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, and hadn't had a drop to drink. I was just that tired from the heat and working a garage sale yesterday. How you doing? Uh, Weather-wise, it's been really, uh, really cool here for the most part. Like, it is currently at 8 o'clock in the morning, 57 degrees in my office. Oh, um, I, uh, I think it, it got down to about 48 degrees while I was working till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, on articles last night, um, I actually had to put on a. Sw- I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now. Like it, it wow. in, Like the high, <laughs> the high temperature here over the last week has been like 78 degrees. It's it's really really weird uh, because I mean two weeks ago we were hitting like mid 90s uh, and it was starting to get really really uncomfortable. So I, I don't know what's going on with the weather here, but. Uh, I'm not going to complain too much, uh, and uh, I will. I will mention I am exhausted. Right, now. this is like an old school podcast for me because I was up way too late writing articles last night. I saw that. The who's on first? What's on second? Uh, hopefully, y'all have read this by the time you're listening to this, but you should uh, because Justin did some good work in there. Uh, I was reading them uh, today as I'm trying to work on my fab for my eight leagues. Uh, to see if there's anything that uh, I've overlooked because you are uh, you got your finger on the pulse uh, and I usually rely on people like you to catch up uh, on things especially as uh, my my day job is getting busier by the day uh, and I'm just exhausted by nighttime <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely go and check out uh, my articles over on fangraphs so, uh, like Jason said who's on first what's on second uh, two kind of companion pieces. Uh, to kind of cover some fab, and those for you still drafting too. It's got a little bit of you know some draft nuggets and some things you'll want to look at, including the upcoming schedules and kind of projected starters for the first you know what is it technically first two weeks, but it's really only a week and a half considering week one is three to four games per team. Right. So, uh, definitely go over and check those out. Uh, did you have anything coming out this week? I am working, uh, I'm in the middle of looking at something. I, I did have something launch on Monday, uh, and it's right in line with what we're going to talk about today. So I'd love it uh, about looking at looking at the multi-inning pitcher uh, and, and the bulk guy rather than focusing on the starting pitcher because uh, it's been something, uh, I'll hold my comments till we get to that part of the show. But I, what I wrote about that came out on Monday evening is right in line with what the meat of our show is today. So We'll hold we'll hold it till then because yeah. I've got a couple of the names you have down. I'm like, yep, that's who I wrote about. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this is one of the things that I am really going to be going after in my last few drafts uh, and in Fab this week. So I thought it was something we should definitely talk about. But let's uh, let's talk about some news and notes. Uh, Yasel Puig is not signed. Uh, we we got the news last week that he was signing with the, or he he had a contract with the Braves. Uh, unfortunately, during the intake process, he tested positive for coronavirus, uh, and that kind of nullified the contract because he couldn't obviously pass the physical. Uh, I think we all expect him to sign at some point as soon as he is clear, maybe back with the Braves, maybe not. We'll see how um, acrimonious that relationship is. 
but if you've got a draft coming up in the next few days, are you drafting Yasel Puig? Um, no, but I'll, I'll say this. I didn't drop him from AL Tout. By the time I got around it, like, oh, I guess I got to drop him. The contract was null and void, so now I'm going to keep him uh, rather than burn up that spot and try to pick up somebody on free agent. Uh, uh, fab process this weekend, I am going to keep him uh, and see what settles out because, like, he seems surprised, like, oh my god, I've got it really. Um, so let's see, let's we'll see where it plays out because if he let's say he gets his two neg- he gets two negative tests and he's back on the field, somebody else if somebody you know. We've heard some of these rumors about service time where some guys may like play until they get enough time. They're like, all right, I'm good. Uh, you know, what if something happens like that and the team's like, oh, I, you know, we need something. Somebody gets hurt. Uh, and then he comes back in the free agent process, let's say in three weeks, he's going to be super expensive. So if I have him, I'm keeping him, but I'm not going after him. If I'm drafting this week, which I am, uh, I do have, looks like I have an online championship draft to do, uh, I think on Tuesday night. Uh, he's not going to be somebody I'm picking up. Yeah, I think I'm probably avoiding him unless we hear, you know, before the end of draft season that um uh, that he's uh that he's healthy and signing. I just don't know that it's it's worth it to keep it on keep him on your roster when we have no idea where he was going to be. Um like you said, if it's AL or NL only and I'm kind of stashing him with the hopes that he lands there, then that's that's perfectly fine. And I really don't have a problem with people taking him outside the top like 250 picks. In like a 15 teamer, I just it's just so hard to stash people, especially with the amount of people who are getting injured or sick. Uh, it's going to be very very difficult to stash players like that that uh, that aren't playing. So um, pr- probably just staying away. Uh, Frangie Cordero has been traded to Kansas City. I mean, this is everybody's favorite sleeper, uh, and he's now being traded to Kansas City, where we assume. He will play, you know, at least, uh, you know, get the the larger part of the platoon out in center, uh, if not just full time run. What are your thoughts on Cadero to uh, Kansas City? Uh, obviously, it, uh, it helps because he wasn't even going to make the thirty man roster in San Diego. That's the that was and you know, it was pretty transparent when you see him get traded for a left handed uh, thirty two or thirty year old reliever. Uh, uh, so that's where that's where his situation was. So obviously it helps with his playing time. It was it was tough to be a sleeper if he can't get off the bench. Now he's got a, a clear path to get off the bench, and he should be playing out in center with what Merrifield moving to right uh, at least to getting the at bats against the righty pitchers. Who knows what happens at lefties? But even in that lineup, he's likely to hit down in it until he proves otherwise. So it's that that's kind of tempers expectations. I mean, you and I were talking off air. Obviously, if you're in AL only league, uh, you want to you want to participate. But I, yeah, I, I was rather conservative in my bid. I don't expect it to win. But if it does, OK, it's just I, I need to replace Willie Calhoun in AL labor. And I don't expect Calhoun to miss a ton of time. So I'm not I'm not aggressively pursuing this. I guess if if Calhoun was out for the season, uh, then I would be throwing a, a big chunk of change because I need something. It's not like you can replace a fifteen dollar bat from your auction with scrubs off the waiver wire uh, waiver wire for the entire thing. But if I only need coverage for a week or two, I will throw a dart elsewhere uh, and see what happens. Yeah, Paul and I have a bid on him in. Uh, mixed labor and but like I said it's not one of those bids that's probably gonna win it's not gonna break the it doesn't break the bank and I there feels like it there is a uh there's a franchi like bandwagoner in every single league 
And oh yeah, if it was if if he were still in my NL league, there's a guy named Jeff in that league. I know it's like he he pays for him. Yeah, that would happen. Uh, it it's uh, but he's not in my NL league, so that won't happen. But that that said, I don't expect my bid to win. Yeah, uh, and I mean, I just. I mean, I know the StatCast data is, like, off the charts with him, uh, but he's also a guy who's had a really, really hard time staying healthy. I think he's best served in your, like, shallower mixed leagues, 12-teamers, 10-teamers, you know, where there is uh, replacement value if he does get hurt. So, um, definitely an interesting guy, but not someone I'm necessarily, like, going out of my way to target. Um. With him moving to Kansas City, one of the reasons he did was because Edward Olivares uh, of San Diego kind of has jumped onto the scene and really been uh, one of the hot topics in in the San Diego outfield. It looks like he's going to start the year as the uh, you know the the short side platoon option. That being said, uh, they're starting the season, their first three games, two of them are against lefties, Madison Bumgarner and Robbie Ray. Uh, this is a guy I am targeting uh, in NL Tout and uh, in other deeper leagues. What are your thoughts on Olivares? It's interesting with him because you know he is young. He is on the, the short side, so you would figure uh, his, his, plat- his path of playing time is platooning with Grisham or, or Josh Naylor. Or somebody getting hurt, and then you look at you know just through stat scout and say I've ever seen the guy swing a bat, but my some of my initial red flags has never seen a pitch in AAA. Yes, you look at he's progressed slowly, but I do like is that a high a double a. I do like guys that do that, but to skip AAA for me is a concern. That said, when you look at what he does in double A, and you look you're like wow, 18 home runs, 35 stolen bases. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, and so I wouldn't say completely pass on them in a shallower league. Yeah, it, there's better options, but 15 team league, obviously single league format. You should try to see how this plays out. Obviously, somebody you could pick up and that you probably have somebody hurt on your team already. You probably have somebody that's out uh, on the IL with COVID. So you may have a roster spot to use, see what happens. And maybe this is a guy that gets sent down within the first week or two as rosters start shrinking. But you know what? You take a chance to see what happens because the skills are there uh, to put up. The athleticism is there to for something interesting to happen, and we know variance is going to reign supreme in this little short season we have here. But who knows? This is also a team that I think really uh, is kind of on the hot seat there, their front office to make the playoffs, and I think uh, they're gonna they're gonna just stick with guys who hit. If Oliveras like starts off hot, especially in those first two games. I could see him pushing for that like full time playing uh, playing time, you know. I, I think the stats are a bit, um, you know, stats in Double A last year maybe a bit uh, uh, inflated because I don't know that he is a guy that has a you know a ton of speed and will be like stealing thirty five bases. But if uh, if he can you know kind of get full time playing time, I think he is definitely a guy who can kind of contribute in you know three or four categories including home runs and stolen bases so that, that's that's definitely an interesting guy to target and like i said someone i will be targeting uh in some of my deeper mixed leagues and uh and nl onlys uh yesterday the uh manager of the nationals uh kind of backtracked a little bit on carter Keyboom starting um he uh he mentioned that 
uh, as Drupal Cabrera will play third as well as Carter Keyboom. This is a little bit of a reversal from him pretty much saying Keyboom was the starter. Or are you worried about uh, Carter Keyboom now? I would be a little bit. I mean, they went out and, and grabbed uh, grabbed Cabrera for a reason. They like the they like the skills, the flexibility, and if they want to use them, that's where it's going to be. I mean, Kibum's going to play at the bottom of the lineup to to begin with. But to me, what that signals is short leash. And if he if he struggles out of the gate, he could be swapped out and be put to the bench. So if he's gonna he's gonna have a spotlight on him even at the bottom of that lineup because you look at what they've got uh, and they have. Good quantity. Obviously, they've got a couple of absolute studs there, but that's at the bottom. We're going to see how that plays out. And even if it's a defensive struggle, he may, that's where you have to worry about stuff at the plate, carries over to the field, vice versa. But that to me, the what I see the larger language is short leash. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think they're going to give him run early on in the season, but uh, this is going to be a very, very competitive division. Uh, it's a team that just won the World Series and would like to make another run at it uh, this year. And so I just don't think, I, I think what this says is not necessarily a lack of confidence in Carter Keyboom, but just the truth, which is if he struggles, they're not going to have time to let him continue to struggle, especially because he's not a premium defensive player, uh, you know, as a prospect. So uh, I'm I'm still buying on Keyboom. His price is still very cheap. So uh, that that being said, definitely have a backup option in your <laughs> on your team uh, in case he does get either sent down or benched, uh, and you can kind of uh, fill in. You know, Howie Kendrick is back. He's another one of those cheap options, eligible at a lot of different places. So he, you know, he's a guy that could be uh, interesting as well in Washington. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel hurt his side uh, yesterday. This could be the dreaded oblique. And here, here comes the question. If it is an oblique injury, do you have to drop him? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't if it's it. a dreaded oblique injury, that's, you know, it could be three to four weeks. Yeah. yeah. Because he could get, he could also get Wally pipped in that regard. I mean, you look, you're trying to look around and see what's, if you look at the roster, I mean, they, they still want, they still need to find, I don't know, it's a, it's a softball team when you look at this roster. And I think one of the things that I keep trying to look at is how can they keep Rowdy Tellez in the lineup as much as possible against Rowdy pitching. Rowdy Tellez can't play the outfield, uh, but and it's too short of a, I mean, Toronto's going through enough changes right now to try to say, hey, Vlad, you were going to play third and first. And how about DHing? You know, where can you move around? Like, I would like them, to, I would like for them to be able to find t uh, a place for Tellas in this lineup. I just don't know if it's there, uh, if it's going to, if it's going to materialize even with this. But yeah, if it, man, if it's an oblique and he's going to miss multiple and they want to, you never want to rush back from that injury in particular, he could miss half the season. Yeah, and I think he becomes, if you're still drafting, I think you have to just lay off. And, you know, as much as I really like Guriel, um, I'm I'm not going to be drafting him until we have more, you know, clarification. Uh, and then I'm also, you know, I'm going to be very tentative on, on even willing being able to keep him. I mean, we're talking about a guy who is currently going at pick 150, in the uh, uh, online championships, so I mean that's that's a tenth you know tenth rounder in a fifteen team league, what a 
12th or 13th rounder in a in a 12 team league I mean that's where you start getting to that demarcation line of guys get injured and you can't stash them especially if you're going to miss I mean he could miss 3 to 6 weeks if it's an oblique injury and that's I mean like you said that's over half the season if if it's closer to the 6 side yeah all right uh let's see it's uh Freddie Freeman he is returned and he is expected or at least he's trying to be ready for opening day the question becomes, where would you draft Freddie Freeman uh, if you're still doing a draft? He's I've seen him go as early as the second round and late as the fifth round, I believe, in the main events. I'll double-check yeah, that, though. Yeah, I'd be on the conservative side of that because if you look at the story, I thought it was in The Athletic this morning, uh, You know, talking about him hitting 104.5 on his fever and how it's yeah, – it, yeah, he's he's just back when he finally got his second negative test. He went back to the field, but he's missed a lot of time. Uh, and you have to be concerned about timing uh, and things. I don't care how great of a uh, how great of a hitter you are, missing that much time and having your body go through that much, it's going to take its toll. I can't take him in the second, third, or fourth. If he's still sitting there in the fifth, I have a really tough time passing on him. But I can't. These guys aren't going to be able to pick up where they left off physically. Is I mean, especially him, what he went through, uh, and that's where my cons. I, no, I, I can't. Other people, if they get it and it works out for them, more power to you. That's why you know, some some winners take more chances. Uh, this won't be one of those guys. Yeah, he, his min pick in the main event so far is 18th, and his max wow. pick is 51. So, and, uh, I mean, I was in a draft uh, recently where he went right on the turn in a main event qualifier, uh, you know, as he went 15th overall. Um, and this was while he was missing time with COVID. Uh, like you said, we have no idea what kind of shape he's going to be in. Uh, I mean, we've seen the before and after pictures of people who've struggled with COVID. They, they're not pretty at all. Uh, let's also not forget that this is a guy who really struggled at the end of the season last year with a re uh, reoccurring wrist injury that has plagued him off and on for the last few years and struggled with it again in spring training. Like, he was already lower on my board than most uh, people had him on theirs. Uh, and now you add this in, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely much closer and probably beyond the max pick of 51 than I am even coming close to 18. <sighs> So in the last two weeks, in all drafts, high of 51, low of, I'm sorry, minimum 51, max, uh, God, I can't even say it. It's, it's, I'm dyslexic here, right? Minimum 15, max 51 uh, in 61 draft. And that really didn't change when I flipped it from all drafts over to, uh, over to main events. But it's like, you know, then you got, his ADP is 28. Pete Alonzo's 34. It's like, you know, that to me, I'd give me Alonzo. Hell, I'm almost right now. Give me Matt Olson. And I know as an average, as an average chance, but give me Matt Olson. And uh, depending on how this White Sox thing plays out, almost give me Jose Abreu. That's how conservative I'm playing this Freddie Freeman situation. Like to me, he's barely hanging in the top five first baseman when he should have been a rock solid number two. Yeah, no, I'm actually with you on both those guys. I would take uh, Abreu and I would take Olson over him at this point. Um, and then that is, like you said, that is saying something. Uh, let's uh, let's talk some Rays. We haven't had a Rays corner in a little while. Uh, Jose uh, Martinez and Yanni Chirinos have both returned to the Rays. Do you think there's any chance they're ready for opening day? 
Uh, I don't know about a Chirinos. Like he literally just walked on the field this morning, right before we started recording. It's his first appearance on the field. So he may not be ready. uh, Or if he does, maybe it's a a shorter outing type of thing. But somebody that was very excited for to start the season because I liked how he pitched and how he got better as the season went on last year. But this is going to slow his start. Jose Martinez may not. I mean, all he's got to do is hit. He doesn't have to get ready in the field. All he's got to do is be ready. Hey, I'm ready to DH. Let me DH. Uh, kind of thing. Uh, maybe do some first base. Uh, not sure on that yet, but the fact that they're both on the field, uh, Jose Martinez returned to the field Friday. So I would put his odds of making the opening 30 day roster pretty strong. Whereas Chirinos may be somebody who needs a few more days and maybe they do something or um, I don't know if they can backdate guys at a DL that just hit the field, but that's really kind of where I am with, with Austin Meadows is like they did the whole thing on the, uh, on the IL for him because he just may need a few extra days because all the interviews says he feels great everything. And, uh, but he had not been on the field since July 3rd. And so I think that was their way of saying, we'll give you a little more time. And so maybe I expect him to miss a week and Sharino's maybe the same thing. He may not pitch opening weekend, um, but by you know the middle of the second week, maybe he's back in. Yeah, I think I'm probably avoiding both in drafts. I mean, outside of AL only, just for right now. Uh, most likely, they'll both be available on the waiver wire in a number of leagues. Uh, and the uh, the Rays start off with you know mostly righties, I believe, to start the season is what I saw. Um, so I'm probably except for Ryu, they got Ryu opening day. Okay, so yeah, but then but then they they have a, a plethora of righties after that. So I'm uh, I'm probably gonna avoid them. Chirinos was a guy I was really interested in because I thought this was a guy that would really work into the uh, the Rays kind of bullpen and opener strategy and what they can do. Um, you know, and he might be able to pick up some cheap wins. So he's definitely a guy I'm gonna keep an eye on. Uh, but I don't think I'm gonna invest any draft capital. All right, uh, let's uh, talk about the final piece of news before we start talking about some fab, uh, and that is the Blue Jays have been denied by the Canadian government in playing in Toronto. The city of Toronto had agreed, but I guess the uh, the federal government does not like what's going on here in the United States in terms of our COVID uh, stuff, so they are going to uh, not allow the Blue Jays to play in Toronto this year. How does this affect your view of the Toronto Blue Jays? Good job, America. Uh, when you move, there was a discussion. If you go on Twitter, uh, Todd Zola and Matt uh, Cooperlife were talking about park factors with Buffalo because that appears to be where they're headed. Uh, and when you look at uh, in that conversation, I jumped in and put an article about park factors that Sam Dykstra had written for MILB.com uh, and looking at the three-year park factors for Buffalo, if that's where they go. Over the last three years, it's been a it's slightly tilted towards pitchers, but last year it was uh, it favored homers uh, to that. But overall, it was league average on hits and below league average on runs. So. You know, maybe it's actually a little bit of a, a ding on, on the Jays offense overall because we we know we like Rogers Center and how it plays out. Uh, but that park also doesn't show how uh, that doesn't there's no way of saying, hey, how does Buffalo compare to other major league parks? Because you're only doing par factors within the league that they're in. Uh, and so that's where it, it may help a little bit uh, for home runs. But I don't think it's a big of a factor. It's just the problem is they have. Thankfully, they open up on the road uh, if they if they go. Now, something that one of my league mates 
told me last. I don't know where he got it, but he said Dan Shulman mentioned possibly the Jays playing in Charlotte. Now that would move the needle because Charlotte plays like a Pacific Coast League park. Um, it had the highest home run factor last year uh, in the International League, 64 points above league average. Over the last three years, it's been 70% above league average. It is a great place for home runs. Um, and so if they somehow come here, I don't know where that came from uh, because they've got a little bit of time. I think their first two series are on the road. So I know they definitely opened the season in Tampa Bay. Uh, and then I don't know where their second thing is. So they've got a little I think they have 10 days as of today to work it out where they're going to go. Um, obviously, Charlotte has nobody here other than uh, my daughter's dance studio has the field rented out in a couple of weeks. So that could be a little awkward around this household if that happens. Um, so we'll see where that goes uh, on that. But if they move this, if they go to Charlotte, that could be like, wow, uh, on the home run stuff. Uh, but other than that, it doesn't really move the needle for me. Uh, just, you know, to find us out four days before camp, these guys are like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? Yeah, I think it's going to definitely impact things. Uh, I mean, the talk about Richmond, uh, you know, I was talking to Matt Thompson because he, he's, you know, the prospect guy over uh, at Friends Fantasy Benefits and obviously over at Prospect Live. Uh, and he said before last year when every uh, park played up uh, as a hitter's park, uh, Richmond was one of the parks that actually played really much like a pitcher's park. So that would be really interesting for some of their pitchers that I like but don't necessarily like the environment in Toronto. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, Hyunjin Ryu would be interesting. Matt Shoemaker becomes a little bit more interesting. Uh, so, I mean, I wish we had more information. Uh, but, I mean, I can't imagine it's going to be that much worse than Toronto was already playing for pitchers and likely not on turf, considering most minor league systems. I don't know that any minor league park has, like, a dome and, and you know, and turf on it. So... Definitely uh, don't have a dome. Uh, mm -hmm. Turf, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, dome, definitely not. So, but that that'll help. You know, reuse a high ground ball rate was not going to be helped by uh, by that turf in in Toronto. So, getting out of that is actually helpful for him. Uh, I'm not super worried about the majority of the hitters that I were was targeting in uh, Toronto. Most of them have real power. Guys like Teoscar Hernandez and Vlad Guerrero. Uh, and in Lords Guriel Jr. if he is healthy. So uh, I, I'm not necessarily worried about it affecting the hitters. I'm more worried, I'm more actually intrigued by the fact it could help the pitchers. Uh, and obviously, I think there was a little bit of fear that some guys would just opt out in Toronto if the, uh, if the restrictions were too tight on them and they weren't allowed to see their family and they had to quarantine for 14 days after every road trip. Uh, it pretty much means the whole season. So, um, so th this is uh, it. Definitely makes Toronto a bit more interesting for me. It does. Well, let's see. I mean, like I said, just give them a place to play. Um, and uh, you know, everybody, obviously, everybody want want to keep everybody safe. But these these guys deserve to know where they need to go. It's like I feel bad. You try to put yourself in your shoe, their shoes. Like, okay, you probably made some kind of short term lease in Toronto. And I saw that they're doing some kind of uh, the the province was trying to do something like 
um, relief, some kind of relief funds kind of thing that said, look, we'll take, you know, I know we did this to you on short notice because apparently the province and the, whatever they worked out was only for preseason. It was never for like perpetuity. Uh, but you, you know, you had to plan, you had to plan ahead. And so when they finally got the, yeah, no, we're not going to let you guys in. We still don't like what we're seeing. And, and, you know, they have to think about their citizens first. They can't think about the sports team. And there were a lot of junk, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, people jumped to react like, Hey, what about hockey? No. The American hockey clubs are staying in America and the Canadians are staying in Canada. They're not allowing those two to make. So it's, that's where it's a little bit. And the NBA is all in their bubble. Uh, so it's it's they didn't want to have like, hey, you're coming from the hotbed in Florida. Let's come up. Hey, you're coming from Texas. Let's you know. Well, actually, no, they would have just had Florida and Miami coming. And that's what they looked at and said, yeah, no, I think Florida. Yeah. Good job, Florida. I think Florida enough was enough for them. was alone was enough for them to say, yeah, we're not doing this. I mean, they've kept the border shut. Um, not even allowing New Yorkers into Canada. Uh, but, you know, I think the the chance of taking teams from Florida and other teams that were traveling to Florida, I think, was the breaking point. Yeah, I, I just don't understand as an organization. Like, I don't blame Canada at all. Like, I mean, they got to do what they got to do to keep their, you know, people safe. I just, as an organization, how do you not have this figured out? If you, if you thought that... There was any chance that this was going to happen, and the writing seemed to be on the wall. Uh, figure out a different location. Just don't even mess with it. You're, you're, you know, like you said, the season starts in five days. Like this is a lot of now rushing around to figure out like what where the team is going to be located. Players have to figure out where their families are going to be located uh, for the season. This this is this is an absolute nightmare for them. Yeah, I mean, you've had. You've had all this time. It's like, to me, it's uh, it's just crazy how you don't have plan A, plan B, plan C. I mean, and I say, I say A, B, and C because school districts. I mean, if you're a parent listening to this or you're an educator listening to this, you know your school districts have had to come up with plan A, B, and C and have it ready to see what's going on. Plan A is business as usual. Plan C is remote learning. Plan B is that blended model of something. And a lot of, if you look on social media this week, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, we chose plan B. My school district, Charlotte Mecklenburg, chose plan B+. Uh, where they, they're starting the school year, like you have four live days, uh, they're eight groups A, B, and C, and so you have four days, and then you come home for remote learning for the foreseeable future, uh, and then they'll review things because the governor gave guidance and said, look, you cannot do plan A. I mean, North Carolina, look up the data, make your own judgment, but he said no plan A at all. Um, so it's either plan B or plan C or some hybrid in between uh, of where things are. South Carolina, has delayed. They're supposed to start school August 17th. They're now looking at September 8th. They're just saying, look, we're not going to do this stuff right now. We're just going to postpone it three weeks and see if three weeks helps. Hint, it's not going to help. Uh, but that's where these teams should have had the same thing. They should have had A, B, and C, and Toronto should have known, okay, if we can't come here, then can we do Buffalo? And if Buffalo tells us no, where else can we go? And it seems like they kind of said, well, we're just going to stay here and baseball, I mean, baseball is going to be part of this too, right? Uh, and then Plan B was only just started kicking around about a week ago. We're like, oh yeah, Buffalo will let us in. Oh, maybe Buffalo doesn't work for broadcast. I don't know. You know, the, what you should have had the what if Buffalo doesn't work? Where else do we go? Do we do we stay in Florida and play outdoors in Dunedin? Summertime outdoor baseball in Florida, fans or no fans, you just got to play on. You have to hope that the rain doesn't uh, impact the game. And then do you play in Tropicana Field and just alternate schedules? So when the Rays aren't using Tropicana Field, the Jays are using Tropicana Field. Uh, or do you send the Jays on the road and all of a sudden they're playing a bunch more road games and 
They should have had this worked out. They've had plenty of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is yeah. I, I this is just another one of those MLB clusterfucks. I just don't understand how they didn't figure this out. Uh, let's talk some fab. So uh, obviously, you know, I wrote up most of these guys uh, and in a ton more over on my two pieces. Uh, that's over on Fangraphs. You can obviously go check those out. One is uh, a piece on you know kind of a primer for this week, and then one is a primer for next week. So let's say you know my TGFBI team. I could pick up some guys. I don't really necessarily need to. I've got my, you know, most of my guys have survived the the pandemic and aren't injured and aren't sick. So I don't necessarily you're, need. There's no way you're talking about your teams. Nobody injured. <laughs> nobody sick. Uh, a, are, you, are you looking at somebody else's roster? Because there's no way that's your roster. You know, I keep getting these jokes and stuff. And I, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I deserve them for what I did in my main event last year. Like Rob Silver. He just drafted a main event last night, and like the first thing he did when he was done, it's like, oh my god, I drafted a Justin Mason team. What am I gonna do? Hey, um, own your brand, buddy. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, no, like I've learned my lesson. If you th- and this is what it what it means to be a fantasy player. If you don't learn your lessons, then you're gonna be in some trouble. But yeah, I am very very uh, risk averse coming into this season uh, because of last season. So. Um, yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not falling for it. So luckily in like my TGFBI team, like I don't have any injuries and I actually got guys back. Like, you know, I got Clevenger in the fourth round and you know, now he's looking like a first or second round pitcher in, in that format. But, um, but I, I don't have guys to pick up, but so, you know, I, this other article I did, the, the, who's on or the what's on second or who's on second, one of the two, um, is, uh, is, a uh, piece that looks off into the future, into next week, and guys who might be worth stashing. So definitely go check those uh, pieces out on Fangraphs. But in the meantime, let's talk about Nathan Evaldi. He's going to be the opening day starter for the Boston Red Sox. And it's a pretty nice matchup, considering they play in the Baltimore Orioles. So is he a guy you're willing to pick up coming into this uh, you know, first week of the season? Uh, so... This gets back to our earlier conversation, like, hey, I play in too many deep leagues. But then again, I have Ivaldi is on my AL Tower staff. And I think I paid like three bucks for him, which really surprised me uh, that he went so because he was looking good in spring. But that's the only club. That's the only club that I have Ivaldi when I look at my roster. Uh, but I did like what I saw from him in the spring. But I like him even more so now in, in this season because, you know, I, I feel like. You know, back in the day when Tim Russert would bang on his desk and say Ohio, Ohio, Ohio uh, about the where the politi- where the presidential election stuff would go. But it's like I've been banging on my desk this offseason saying, you know, these are the types of guys because pitching is going to be so non-traditional this year. Yeah, your your Verlanders and your Hosses, you know, those guys are going to do what they normally do. I would ex- now. I don't think we'll see a complete game in the major leagues this year uh, unless somebody is in, in pursuing a no-hitter or, or a perfect game. That's really the only chance I think we have uh, for that. But when you look at some of these other guys, it's, it's like this is what you want. For Eovaldi, what I like about him, he should be. he's always been, hey, he should be a two-time through the older guy and get out. Uh, and I think now that's what's really going to play up. So I, I like him uh, in this capacity. Now, the, the only thing I have, and we can get, we'll talk about this more with the other guys, is – you know, and I, I think we talked about this a little bit last week. There's there's absolutely relievers are absolutely going to earn more wins than starting pitchers this year. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and so that's where the problem with the Evaldi, if he's going to start in the game, how deep can he stay in the game? So his 18 batters through may be 
four and two thirds, maybe four and a third. It depends on the matchup that he's got. Like if he gets gets out there for the versus the Yankees and the way they work counts, maybe he only goes four innings, that type of thing. So that's where I would be concerned with a traditional starting pitcher. But I like I like Ivaldi quite a bit, um, and this this you know this short season is actually perfect for him. I didn't like him as much. I think in the, in the um, you know we, again we drafted labor I mean tout March fourteenth. Right. Uh, we knew the season would be shorter. We didn't know how short it was going to be. But in the short season, yeah. So most of your concerns about workload and his arm. I mean, the, the guys had a lot of work done on that right arm. Um, but in this short season, that's not a problem. But then again, I do not expect to see I don't expect to see him go seven every time out. I expect Boston to to leverage him and, and uh, or to. Um, use him effectively up front. Maybe they have an opener for him and then bring him in, that type of thing. And that's where I, that's that's the type of pitcher I really want on my team uh, right now. But uh, I like him uh, and I have him on one team. I wish I had him on more. Yeah, I've got him on a number of teams. Uh, he was a guy that I was interested in because of the price and obviously the upside. And I think this season, like you said, plays perfectly into kind of what his skill set is. Uh, and that's a guy that probably can't hold up over a full season anymore. Uh, that being said, like I understand your concern about them bringing in a reliever pretty quickly. I mean, obviously a lot of guys are going to face that uh, early on in the season. Here's the problem with Boston. Do they even have a reliever worth trusting for multiple innings? <laughs> like, no joke. We played that game, I think it was last year, like, reliever or U.S. politician. Um, and, like, like Josh Taylor. I mean, he could be the senator from the great state of Mississippi, or he could be the middle reliever for uh, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, so, I mean, like, there are a bunch of people on this team I've actually never heard of. Yeah, that is. I mean, I, I saw you guys were having a discussion on worst bullpens in mm -hmm. baseball, and you cited the Rangers, and I'm really surprised you didn't cite this one. Someone already because, beat yeah, me to it. Oh, okay, because <laughs> Workman and Barnes, you're like, yeah, cool, but yeah, there's a lot of. Quite, now the thing is, there's a lot of question marks about these guys because of the way they're used. But let's, I mean, let's go through my equation. Let's say Ivaldi goes four, five tops, and goes to diving. With this type of, could you get these guys? In? They got to face three batters, though. That's the thing. You can't like, hey, Josh Taylor, here comes the, you know, here's the lefty. You got to neutralize that guy. So we'll bring in Taylor for one. And he's got to go. No, you got to at least pitch three. Most cases. Now, if you end an inning, that's one thing. But yeah, I mean, there's a. A lot of these guys look like video name, a video uh, game names that you didn't get the licensing rights for that mm -hmm. player, like uh, John Dowd with Barry Bonds. And you look at this, you're <laughs> like, wow, some of these names have got to be fake. I'm looking for Heat Muldoon. If you guys remember old '80s baseball games on Atari, uh, I'm dating myself there. But yeah, to that point, I get that, which kind of scares me about how much they'll leave Viavaldi out. Uh, for that, but on the rest of the staff, it's not like Martin Perez is going to soak up a lot of innings. Ryan Weber, no. Yeah, this this staff is. They need Eduardo Rodriguez back in a hurry. Now, I do like, and this is where it gets into that. I do like Colin McHugh on this team because Colin McHugh, I do not see as a starting pitcher on this team. What I do see him as is a guy that can come out and give you two innings, two to three times a week. Uh, and if he can come in as like that second guy. That's where things get intriguing with Colin McHugh because he's just, yeah, he had an elbow procedure last year and he was he's throwing in camp. But it's like if you bring him in as the guy after Martin Perez and that Red Sox lineup, which can still put up some offense, 
gets back the lead, gets back the lead that Perez that, you know, let's say Perez leaves a game down four two. Sox put up a three spot in, in the fifth and are up five, four. And they somehow protected with that awesome bullpen they have there. And, and there's Colin McHugh getting a win because he pitched two innings. You know, that's the type of guy in his shout. And this is only an AL league, but it's like, that's the guy that I'm kind of watching out of that pen because nobody's drafting him. Uh, and I'm willing to take a dart chance on him because of that. Well, he's going to start the year on the IL. So I, I wouldn't, I mean, unless you have unlimited uh, IL spots, uh, probably not worth stashing. But definitely got to watch to see when he comes off. Uh, but he's still being bothered by that elbow issue. So Darwin's and Hernandez. I mean, they've, they've gotten beat up between McHugh on the DL, Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Sale on Darwin's and Hernandez. That's a lot of nastiness that is unavailable to them right now. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on. Talk about Tyler Rogers. Uh, it looks like he could be one of the front runners for saves in San Francisco. Now, I know the joke. You know, you got to <laughs> actually be able to win games uh, to get saves, but saves are a really hot commodity right now. And if you drafted earlier in the season, chances are uh, for this fab period that Tyler Rogers is still available in your league. So. If you are in need of saves, uh, how much you'd be willing to spend on Tyler Rogers in a mixed league? I'd take like a fifteen percent chance on it. I mean, you've got you've got options. They've got uh, Trevor. Got they got Tony Watson. They got the good old veteran type of thing. Um, again, this bullpen also looks like a video game where they didn't get <laughs> licensing rights. Uh, I'm just I'm just shocked because one of my one of my old longtime favorites, Andrew Triggs, is in this bullpen. Um, and looking back at his overall stats, I never understood why he's a favorite of mine, but I, I remember owning him, uh, and a few old AL leagues. I'm like, Oh, Hey, look at that guy. Um, but yeah, this, 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 a lot of names. I'm like, that can't possibly be a real player, uh, type of situation, but yeah, about 15% of it, because again, the, the problem with what's going to happen in this category is going to be the same thing in wins. Like you're going to get down to the final week of the season. Uh, and you could have like six teams competing for the league title and somebody's going to get a win on the final. And this is going to happen all over the place. Typically we see it and we hear about it in a league here or there. This is going to be all over the place where the, the, you're going to see teams so much bunched and saves the, the top team's got 13 saves. Next team's got 12. Four teams has 11. And we'll see what happens from there. And that's that's kind of what I'm excited about to see in the season. Because, you know, typically in a normal season, by the time you get to the end, there's only like three or four teams that actually care what's happening at that point. And now it's like there should at least be half the league that cares what's happening at that point. And we'll see how, we'll see how it plays out. But wins and saves, these categories like this, you got to take your chances. So I'm like 15 20%. With uh, with Tyler Rogers to see what plays out because the stuff's he's going to be used. That's the thing. Even if he doesn't close, he's going to get used. Now you know, can they get? Can he be in uh, around for decisions? Enough decisions, we'll see. But we're talking about a guy that probably pitches about twenty innings this season, uh, and so you have to hope that wins and or saves fall in place for him. And I think he's not going to move the needle much otherwise. Yeah, I think they will. I mean, this is a guy that I talked about earlier in the off season, uh, or like really right after the quarantine stuff started and the delay to the season started uh, because that's when Gabe Kapler was really talking a whole lot about how much he liked him uh, and how he could be useful in a, in a late inning role. I do think that they give him a chance to close here. Uh, you know, they're also a team that's going to play the matchups and they've talked about piggybacking starters 
and like they're going to platoon like half of their team. So if for some reason you're thinking about starting a Giants like position player, uh, three lefties in the first four games. Uh, mm. So you're gonna you're gonna want to roster shares of, of Wilmer Flores, um, you know Austin Slater in their really really deep leagues. Uh, because the Dodgers, yeah, start start uh, those that first four game set. Only two teams who have a four game set to start the season, by the way. Um, you know, in the, in week one, so Dodgers are are definitely uh, uh, much more valuable uh, if you're still drafting or at least get a uh, get a little bump. Uh, but uh, it's going to be so hard to this team is not going to win a lot of games. Their schedule no. is brutal. If you go and look their week-to-week schedule, especially starting off, it is brutal. Um, Connor Menendez is an interesting guy uh, who's pitched really, really well in summer camp. Um, but, yeah, I think outside of Yastrzemski, I think Tyler Rogers it may be the only guy on the Giants I'm interested from a fantasy perspective. The schedule lines up so poorly for their starters, even though I liked a lot of them, including Jeff Samarja coming in the year. I'm actually dropping Samarja in my 12-team leagues. Mm. Like, that that's how bad the schedule lines yeah, up for that, early that's, on. Yeah, that's tough. That's big for you. Yeah. Because you've been his biggest fan. I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely his biggest fan in the industry, but I'm dropping him in 12-team leagues and in, and in some 15-team leagues right now just because I, I don't like the way the schedule lines up for him. Uh, let's talk about one of your Rays guys, since we talked about one of my Giants guys, Yoshi Tsugo. Uh, it looks like there's a chance he could lead off, and the Rays start uh, the season against two right-handed pitchers. Oh, so, no, they got Ryu again. They got Ryu opening day. Yeah, but after that, there's two yeah. right-handed pitchers. Sorry. So, um, yeah. you know, he may not start. He may get platooned out for that first game, but he's gonna. He he might bat lead off for the next two. Uh, this is a little. This is a little bit crazy. I me. Mean, I thought Lau was gonna lead off for them, but. Uh, any chance you're picking up Tesugo for that opening series? Uh, for the opening series, doesn't phase me. By the way, I also think Yandy Diaz hits leadoff. If Jose Martinez is already, I mean, even I could, <laughs> it would be slow as hell, but you could have Yandy Diaz leading off with Jose Martinez hitting second, taking advantage of both their abilities to just really hit lefties well. Uh, and so uh, we'll see how, see how things shake out from there because otherwise, you look at some of the potential platoon situations. You look at some of the other things like you. Uh, then you've got uh, with Kier, you've got Margot that you could put in there. So Kiermaier maybe misses that day against uh, Ryu. But I do I like Suzuko overall. And I'm not so sure he platoons. And we'll have to see how he. But you look at him in the spring. You look at the quality of at bats and the way he waits on pitches and works and can hit with power to all fields. I'm not sure he. I'm not so sure he platoons. He may get a lot more playing time than we thought he was going to get in March. Uh, we'll see how it plays out right now. Obviously, there's a lot of depth, and they may play matchups, but uh, he may not platoon. And I was interested in him. I, another person I wish I ended up with in more places, and I, I don't. I have him in one league. I have him in the the triple threat mixed league uh, that Derek Van Riper put together. That's the only place I have him. Um, but I know he was somebody that I wanted to get in multiple places, but there were a lot of fans in the spring because he was hitting well in the spring. Oh, that would be really interesting if he didn't platoon, because I, I was really avoiding him because of the platoon situations, but maybe he's the guy that I can uh, take a little bit late uh, if uh, if it doesn't seem like he's going to platoon, at least early on. So uh, definitely a guy I'm interested in. Any guy who hits at the top of the lineup, even if platooning, 
is interesting exactly. to me because to me added plate appearances. So mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely definitely something I'm willing to kind of at least pick up and stream. You know what? You know you can stream them in and out of your lineup if you need to, especially in shallower leagues. Right. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's talk about. Uh, the Pirates bullpen. It seems like Keone Kella may not be ready to start the season. Uh, they have got Kyle Crick, Richard Rodriguez, Michael Feliz, and Nick Birdie. Who's the guy that you're most interested in? I'm most interested in Birdie. Uh, and the background on him, we talked a little bit, if you happen to hear the MLB, the Rotowire show on MLB Network Radio on Saturday. Um, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, there were two really excellent pieces that were written last week, one by uh, Adam Barry from MLB.com, and the other one was from Rob uh, Beer Temple uh, at The Athletic, uh, both on Birdie. And, you know, he, obviously he's got his brother, Zach, that I think is in the White Sox organization now, um, or the Twins, one of them. Uh, I forget exactly where, but the Birdie brothers. White Sox, I believe, yeah. All right. And they both had TJ surgery. But you may remember Nick from last year because he was the guy who threw a pitch and we thought his arm broke. Um, and he had thoracic out, or he walked off the field. His arm was dangling. He went down to the ground, um, and he had thoracic outlet syndrome surgery in April. Now, I know we talked on this podcast about the impact on that with Chris Archer uh, and, and the poor track record from that particular surgery, but in the spring and in the summer camp, Birdie has picked up where he's left off. Uh, and Birdie is a guy that touches triple digits with his fastball and has a really good slider. So, and, and I don't, I know this sounds cruel uh, and maybe a little bit crass, but that arm is on borrowed time. Between TJ and a thoracic outlet surgery, that arm is on borrowed time. And if I'm him, I'd be like, give me the ball in the night. I will close. I will do whatever you want me to. And I will keep throwing until my arm quits on me. Uh, and I think he has the stuff when you look at the overall stuff uh, options in that pen to be the guy that now, again, he may only get four or five saves for the entire year, but that's the guy out of, if you said, okay, put some guys, put some money down on these four guys. I know he doesn't have the experience, but he has the stuff and, uh, and the reports have been very positive about him lately. And so that's where I would be putting my free agent dollars. If I'm speculating on what's going to happen behind Kilo while he's missing time. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and the reports are that he does look good, but there's, like, not only is it bad track record for guys coming off a thoracic outlet, it's pretty much no track record. Like, there, there's no guy who is like turn like, been, you know, returned to form or been better after getting thoracic outlet. Like, the, the closest thing is Alex Cobb, and Alex Cobb is not good um, anymore. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah, but I, Alex Cobb never threw 100. That's true. I mean, <laughs> and so, Alex Cobb lost his splitter. I mean, that was one of the things is like his best pitch, he completely lost. He couldn't throw it anymore. Uh, and that, it just wasn't effective. And that's that's the difference. Uh, and for me, uh, I'm trying to think of other guys who have like, you know, Grant Balfour. When, you know, when the Rays got him and he became something, his arm was a mess. Uh, by that time, and he ended up making something of himself. And I know there's other stories out there that we're that we're forgetting uh, in this capacity. But when you got when you got a guy that's working upper 90s and has a slider like Birdie has, um, and two national writers are picking up and 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 you read through the interviews, you're like, huh, that's interesting. Again, this is the guy that's just sitting out there. Nobody drafted Nick Birdie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's so- definitely a, I mean a deep league <laughs> guy. I wonder if he's available in South Wars. He, he definitely won't be after after this week, but. Uh, I'm, that may be a guy I target in Towers, but I just can't imagine taking much of a shot on him outside of NL only. 
it, Kyle Crick, I think, is the first man up. He did have a really bad outing, I think, last night. Um, but I don't necessarily know that that's going to bump him out of the role. Uh, I agree with you. I think Birdie has some pretty interesting upside. But I think Crick starts with a role, and it just kind of depends on you know who performs the best while Kell is gone because this is a team that has no reason to uh, not just go with a hot hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's uh, let's finish up with Aaron Hicks, and then we're going to talk about some relievers who could steal some wins. Um, and so Aaron Hicks uh, obviously was a guy that was largely ignored. And I guess we could throw... I mean, Rich Hill, I think, is now going to be owned in a lot of leagues. So people know to go pick up uh, uh, Rich Hill, but we can kind of mention him in this topic. So Hill and, Hill and Hicks were guys that were ignored in draft days in March because they weren't supposed to be back till now. And, but now it's now. Um, and so we, uh, if you're in a league, like for instance, TGFBI, where these guys are available, uh, how much fab are you going to throw on either Rich Hill or Aaron Hicks? I'd be pretty excited about the Rich Hill uh, capacity because he's full. We know what he can do. Uh, and we know that's uh, that Rocco, Rocco Baldelli proved that he pays attention to overexposure the way he mostly, not perfectly, but mostly handled Jake Odorizzi last year. Um, and so when you look at, and they've got options, when you look through that pen, the way that Minnesota pen uh, is structured, it's like they've got options that they can leverage out of that pen uh, with Rogers, Romo, May, Duffy, Clippard, Stashnik. They've got a lot of guys they can leverage for this. So they, they can do this and they don't have to worry about leaving Hill to soak up, uh, soak up more. But for Hill, you want to limit and he's a guy that can give you, again, that, that, that 15 to 18 batter space, get him out. Uh, but we know what he can do when he's doing that and they're good it's just the 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 stints on the il in between but i'd be really excited about hill uh the frustrating part about hicks though is just that when you look at that that situation when we were all drafting back in march everybody was falling apart i mean judge wasn't fully healthy not that he still is but you know stanton wasn't uh hicks wasn't even on the radar uh, at that point and and now you look at it just about everybody's back and now you're trying to figure out like okay what happens to you know, Mike Talkman was a guy that was going eight to ten dollars in drafts in March, and now you're like, where is he going to play? Clint Frazier was like, hey, we're getting, where's he going to play? Uh, and now you're throwing Aaron Hicks, and Aaron Hicks, if he's healthy, you play him. Uh, and so now we're going to see if the throwing arm is going to be okay uh, for him to play in center field uh, with this. But that's where things get. That's where things get interesting. Now, I'm not willing to punt on Frazier and Trockman, uh, Trockman given um, Stanton and Judge's health track record uh, and the fact that Judge still is in 100 uh, percent with that. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out with that. But I'm not as excited. I'm not. I would be more in on Rich Hill than I am on Hicks. Uh, but I think Hicks has more of an impact because of the downstream impact on playing time. Uh, if Because if he's in, he's in. Yeah, I think I go the opposite way. I. You know, as much as I really like Rich Hill, and I think this season is set up for him in a way, I, I just worry about the injuries. Now, I mean, obviously, he's not super expensive, but he's becoming more expensive, which is the the very interesting part. Like, we obviously expected his ADP to jump, but it's currently going at 173 in the main event. So, like, right in front of Zach Wheeler, in front of Andrew Heaney, in front of Sean Manaya, Like, that's too high for me. It's going right below Jake Odorizzi. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you on some of that, but then you look at some of the, I mean, some of the names you named there, uh, and they've got their own question marks. Like I said, uh, 
I too would take Oda Rizzi, but yeah, that's that's been somebody that I like. But you look at some of the guys he's going in front of Wheeler question mark, but if Philly can get out of him what what the Mets weren't able to, uh, that gets very interesting. Heaney with the six man rotation thing in LA, I, I see it. Um I, I see that, but then how is Eduardo Rodriguez and Rich Hill only 13 spots apart when Rich Hill's at least healthy and is going to play in the first two weeks of the season? Um, but some guys behind him that I would possibly like more, like Musgrove. Obviously, I like Musgrove. That one I see, I'm like, okay, that's 20. So it's like a, a round and a half later. That one I like uh, quite a bit down there. And Luke Weaver somewhat. But other than I don't see anything terribly egregious downstream from here. Unless, like, Mitch Keller does what the expected stats say he can do this year uh, based on, th- you know, different things like that. If Mitch Keller turns that corner, Dustin May, uh, you know, that's intriguing as well. But that's a, a six-round gap. I'm not suggesting going up and drafting uh, drafting Dustin May where Rich Hill's going in the 170 range. Um, but, I mean, there are some intriguing names down there, but there's you're also inheriting – as much, if not more, risk than you are with Rich Hill. Most of his risk is a blister, and if you if you limit the amount of time he pitches deep in the games, blister shouldn't be the problem. You would hope. <laughs> I'm still probably staying away. I like Aaron Hicks. We had uh, rostered him in, at the end of our labor draft uh, just to stash on the IL, uh, and we're going to benefit from that, but it's also forcing us to move on probably from Mike Talkman. And as much as I like Mike Talkman. Uh, and I think he could have some value this year. You, like, I, like I've said a number of times, you just can't afford to roster these guys that don't have a clear role, um, you know, when there are going to be other guys on the waiver wire that do. And so, uh, you know, he's definitely going to be one of those guys I go back to pick up, you know, if and when, because we all assume that Aaron Judge and Mike Stanton will get hurt again because they always do. Uh, but uh, I'm just not going to hold guys on my roster in this mm-hmm. short of a season, so. All right, let's talk about some relievers that uh, could steal wins. Um, I highlight a number of them in my pieces, uh, and we're going to talk about a few of them right now. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, I'm just going to throw you out the whole list, and you tell me if you're interested in any of them. So we've got Dustin May of the Dodgers, uh, obviously going much higher because he is a top prospect than uh, these other guys. Uh, he is facing against the Giants, uh, Nick Pavetta, uh, who is, uh, you know, kind of ev- was everybody's favorite sleeper last year that really just never woke up. Uh, he gets the Marlins to start uh, the season. Uh, Ponce de Leon, I believe the, uh, the Cardinals are getting the Pirates. Uh, Yusmero Petit, uh, his, uh, I believe he gets the Angels, um, but... Obviously, he's more of a factor of the the A's likely limiting their starters, uh, especially early on. And then Tyler Molly gets the Tigers. So, who out of these guys are interested? And then if if you've got any other options, feel free to throw them out there. See, you know, I'll say this. I like all of these guys for the entirety of the season for this role. It's like when you look at guys that come in that aren't going to be in the rotation, but are going to be the next man out because we were talking, I forgot exactly who I was talking to the other day. It's like if I, and this is before I made the decision to to do another draft, but if I were drafting another team, give me one, one ace, give me one awesome closer. Like if I could have my, my brothers, like I'll take Garrett Cole and I'll take Josh Hader in the first four rounds. And then I will fill my staff up with these types of guys. 
that can get in that. And this is what, and, and same type of like relievers, some guys that late leverage guys that don't have a closer role. It's okay. You know, they're uh, saves are going to be all over the place this year, but these are the types of guys that I like because limited usage. It's like, okay, if they were going to be in the start and, and go five, six innings, not as excited about them. And I think Maley's a perfect example of this. It's like last year, Maley, his first two times through the order, had a 358 ERA, a 120 whip, and struck out 26% of the batters he faced. That's first two times through the order. Now, he got absolutely blasted when he got left out there. And part of the problem, and, and talking to Doug Dennis, was Maley didn't want to get pulled from games. Like, he would pitch a fit when they came and got him. But he had the second worst weighted on base average after two times through the order last year, Aaron Sanchez was the only guy with the worst one, right? And so, Maley, somebody who's tough to roster because he's given up a you know 1.74 home runs per nine, has a high whip. You look at overall, but you reduce his uh, his exposure and let him do 15, 18 batters faced, 358, 120, 26% strikeout rate. That's all ownable, and all of a sudden he's going to get wins when he's coming in to replace somebody who didn't. You know, maybe they. They're on pitch limits, and they're only getting 60 to 70 pitches, and then somebody else comes in. This is why I like Maley quite a bit uh, for that. And if he was a, if he was available, this is somebody that I'm trying to get on my roster and keep all season. And, and like I said, all five of these guys, that would be very interested in for the entirety of the season because getting back to the Ohio, 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 this is where I think uh, – or believe, rather, that the value is in fantasy this year because starting pitchers, yeah, they're going to – you know. The good ones are going to help with the ratios, but without the wins and wins getting all over the place with all of these managers talking about shorter leashes and, and taking advantage of the larger rosters, wins are going to be tough. Uh, but you, everybody who's owned Ryan Yarbrough the last couple of years has been great because, you know, he comes in after an opener, picks up a win, that type of thing. You're going to see more openers this year. And, you know, I would say Trevor Richards is a guy you don't have in this list. But if I had, I would be heavily investing in him because you go look at him. Go look at what he does at least just one time through. There are 12 to 15 batters. He's incredibly effective as well and has similar numbers to, to Maley. You know, last year when I looked, when I took a dive his first two times through the order, 298 ERA, 125 whip, 23% strikeout rate, 231 average against. That plays up. You, know, you look at the overall numbers. How can this guy be a starting pitcher? Miami left him in too long. Tampa Bay doesn't have to do that. And so that's where I that's where I believe a lot of the value is going to be this year because it's going to be these guys coming in after the starter gets pulled early or after an opener. And if, if you're trying to – you want to differentiate yourself from your pack in your league, get these pitchers who are going to have more decisions. Because as I said early in the show, there is absolutely no doubt we're leaving – relieving pitchers, not relievers, but relieving pitchers are going to be where wins are at this year. And, you know, you, we tell you not to chase wins on starters to see where it falls, but you should at least be in the same pool where the wins are going to happen and they're going to happen in relieving pitchers and not starting pitchers this year. It, yeah, I completely agree with you. And Trevor Richards, uh, along with Jalen Beeks and uh, um, uh, Yarbrough, are, all three of them are on my what's on second piece. Yeah, so, Matt Strom, Felix mm -hmm. Pena, other names love, that I really like, and this especially Matt Strom because San Diego has already been out there saying <laughs> we are not allowing these guys. I mean, as a Joey Lucchese owner, very happy to hear that. But it's uh, that's great. But if Lucchese can't get through five and doesn't get me the win, like the strikeouts and the ratios should be decent. 
But again, you you, you need you you got to have wins. It's a category in your league, uh, and if you're in a quality start league, uh, I'm really really sorry. Ho- hopefully you you added wins and you're doing something to enhance that because that's going to be an incredibly tough category this year if you didn't make the adjustment there. But again, and uh, Vince Velasquez is even another name. I, I really really love the player pool of these guys that are going to be the next man in uh, as teams start looking at okay, my one and two can do their things. Three, four, and five. We're going to try some things out, especially early in the year with some teams talking about 17 pitchers coming to camp. They're not going to have these guys. They're not going to have 17 pitchers the first two weeks of the season sitting on the bench and not using them. They're going to use those guys. Uh, And that's where it's going to get intriguing. Yeah, completely agree with you. And this is, you know, these are the guys that highlighted May, uh, Pavetta, Ponce Leon, Petit, uh, and Molly uh, for this podcast just because, and from my article, and there's a few more in in uh, both my articles, just because, especially in these first 10 days, teams are not going to be let their starters, for the most part, go super deep. And so a lot of them aren't going to go deep enough to qualify for a win. Uh, and these are the guys that should be able to come in. And so instead of drafting those, you know, Wade Miley's at the end of your draft, um, you know, or, got, you know, the back-end starters... You know, draft these guys and then drop them. You know, you can stream these guys out in your, you know, your first fab period at the end of your draft if you're still drafting. Um, or if, you know, if you're looking for cheap fab options right now while everybody's spending money on the Rich Hills, like go get these guys uh, for, for much cheaper uh, and sneak a few wins here and there. Because like you said, wins are going to be one of the hardest things to come by this year. It's going to be frustrating, man. It definitely <laughs> you is. Look at it and be like, oof. Uh, we shall see what happens. Uh, even sa- okay, even saves are going to be. Somebody asked me in a, a Rotowire uh, comment, like, hey, who's gonna, who else do you see getting saves in Tampa Bay this year? I'm like, everybody. Ten people did it last year. But Nick Anderson wasn't one of those ten people last year. And with the importance of every single game, I, I, I don't see your smarter managers sitting there thinking, hmm, i got to hold my closer to ninth inning. Uh, you know, we're going to leave them sitting out there staring from the bullpen and be like, hey, I'm ready. Now, if it's tight in the seventh, they're going to come in in the seventh. And you have, you figure out what you do afterwards. Now, I guess you got to have, you know, obviously, you have to have some player buy in there to be like, hey, guys, sit down. Look, I, I know this is, you know, this is where it's you, you guys like your roles and whatnot. But, you know, hey, every loss, every win, every loss counts. It's the typical old rule is everybody starts with 54 wins and 54 losses is what you do with the other 54 that differentiate you uh, from the competition. Well, guess what? You have already had 50, you know, 51 game, 51 wins and 51 losses. And now you have the rest of the 60. What are you going to do in those 60? Yeah, my math is right. Yeah. Uh, so what are you going to do with the rest of those 60 here? Um, and, and I think I said it last week and I've said it a few times. If you are a traditional baseball fan, if you're a traditional fantasy baseball player, you're going to hate the season. You're just going to hate it. <laughs> Try to enjoy it, though, but you're not going to like it. Embrace the craziness. Yeah, embrace that chaos. That's all we can do, and, and just have fun. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we come out on top, and, and team survives. So, um, this is uh, yeah, that's gonna do it for this podcast. Uh, Jason, tell people where you reached on social media, and then plug anything you got going on. Yeah, hit me up, uh, Jason Colette. I am uh, working with the NFBC to get a, a beat Jason Colette league. Uh, as soon as it gets nailed down, I will tweet it out. So if anybody wants to come in and do the easiest thing in the world, which is beat me, uh, they can. Uh, because I, I have yet to win one of those leagues. I came close, uh, but that's we'll, I'll put that out there as soon as I get it. 
and uh, working on a piece right now, just looking at the impact, basically talking about the, what we looked at here with pitchers. It's like I'm trying to see, okay, if, if we if the league truly is going to limit the exposure to the third time through and after, well, how does that impact? Like I'm looking at some numbers over the past decade, 15% of home runs hit league-wide came after the second time through the order last year. But at the start of the decade, that was 23%. So the league was already heading in this direction. And then looking at runs, like – one of every four runs that was scored in 2010 came after a pitcher, had, the starting pitcher, had been in the lineup through two times of the order. Last year, it was 17%. Strikeouts, 12%. So it's like, even if we do this, it's not... I thought about uh, hypothesizing going into looking at this data that it was going to it was going to make an... There was going to be a bigger impact here. But so far, this is these numbers aren't as big as I thought they would be. It's like, if we do the math here... Like not every single pitcher is going to be put through. So maybe we adjust home run projections overall by 10%. So if you projected a guy for 10, now he hits nine. Okay. You know, it's not, not much of an impact uh, overall. I thought there would be more here. Um, it's not going to stop me from writing this article, but I just wanted to take a look at like, hey, you know, as we, if pitchers are really going to be limited in their uses, what are we, what could we potentially be missing? Is the offense going to take a hit? Uh, because pitching, in theory, you would think it's going to be better and offense is going to be a little more tough to come by with multiple guys coming in to face three or four batters uh, and not being over uh, overexposed. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, I, let's see, you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason, FWFB, uh, reach Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette. Uh, outside of these two fab pieces that I'm going to be doing on Sundays, or that will be coming out on Sundays, uh, I'll be doing the Roto write-up daily once the season starts, and I think I might be doing the daily grind too, but I gotta double check, uh, that with Paul. So a lot of content over on Fangraphs, uh, definitely podcasts at TGFBI and Friends of Fantasy Benefits, and of course here uh yeah that that's about it for me so uh for jace myself thank you for listening have fantastic baseball season see you guys